Welcome to episode 98 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Okay, welcome back to another episode. Um, Before we get started, I wanted to give a quick heads up and plug for our episode next week. We are going to be talking to Barbara Fernandez again, and we're so excited. And we're going to be talking to her about her new book called Sis, You Got This, From Surviving to Thriving as a Minority Speech-Language Pathologist. And I would say it's surviving to thriving as a speech language pathologist in general (laughs) from what I've read so far. So if you want it to be more like a book club when you're listening to it, go ahead and download the book. It's available digitally. It's also an audio book with Barbara reading it, which is so fun. Um, And listen to it. I've loved every minute of it. And we invite you to do that before you come back and listen to next week's podcast. And Todd, you have some announcements too, right? Oh, yeah. And speaking of uh, things that are coming up, uh, on Wednesday the 6th, April 6th, is the deadline for submissions for the call for papers for ASHA. So if you have a great idea and want to present uh, and have some ideas about telepractice and have you know something that we maybe haven't seen before, do submit because we want to see you at ASHA presenting your ideas and so get it in by wednesday april 6th which is this week so great very important yes the other quick thing that i was i just ran across i want to do some more research on this uh i saw a a a news alert came up in my feed that said that and i forget which stakes i need to again research this more but they were talking about uh, the article was talking about providing telehealth in rural areas. And, and of course, one of the challenges we all know is in some rural areas, we still don't have really great broadband connections. Yep. And the article was saying is that some insurance companies are now starting to pay for the internet connection. Because in the end, they save money through right. telehealth. Right. And so they, sense. yeah, they see it as a cost savings uh, kind of thing, even if they're paying for the internet connection. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's widely done yet, uh, but it's, it was an interesting little take on, on getting services to more people. So that might be something to look at if, yeah. if you're trying to serve uh, some folks in a rural area and they don't have a, a great internet connection, maybe the insurance company can step in and help. Right, right. And I have I have a sister-in-law that lives in West Yellowstone, Montana, which is a very <laughs> rural place. And they just got, they're now our guinea pig. They just got Starlink, the Elon Ooh. Musk internet. So they are guinea pig. And they said that it is working much better than any other options that they had for internet. So that's exciting to see some changes there and to have some more options for our clients that have a hard time getting that constant um, and good internet connection. Right, exactly. So again, with some of the stuff at the federal level with infrastructure, hopefully we'll start to address this in in other ways too. So, well, on the podcast today, we have Corrine Hartanian 
Kukayan, and she's joining us uh, in terms, she's uh, actually employed at SLP Tally out in California. She works for them and has a wonderful background in telepractice and has a lot to share. So I'm looking forward to hearing from Corinne. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. So, Corrine, welcome to the podcast. Can you share more about your background? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, so I have been an SLP for over 20 years, and um, basically I've been in different um, settings like the schools. I basically started out in the schools, but I've also done home health and clinics and then found my way to telepractice and have settled there for the last, I would say, 11 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how did that, how did um, speech language pathology come up as, as a as a destination for you? Yeah. So I, um, I feel like I always wanted to help people. I wanted to be in a helping field and um, started out with psychology. It seems like Mm -hmm. a lot of us species kind of start off uh, in psych. And then um, I kind of explored psychology and uh, was kind of towards my senior year, trying to get ready for wrap my head around being a counselor um, I was at Cal State Northridge, and I remember doing um, some volunteer work, actually, at, mm-hmm. uh, at the suicide hotline. And back then, you know, you literally were in a room, and there was a phone uh, in front of you, and you're waiting for it to ring. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I started looking for other options because I felt like that was just a lot of responsibility to kind of have somebody else's um, behavioral and mental health. And I totally respect all of the counselors and psychologists out there because we definitely need all of them. But uh, during that time, I was exploring some other areas and uh, always was interested in linguistics and languages. I I grew up Mm -hmm. in a multilingual home um, and uh, I took some linguistics classes and somehow found my way to communication disorders. And I think the, between the phonetics and linguistics class, I was in love. So Mm -hmm. I figured, okay, I can do this. And, um, you know, as a child, again, I, I, I'm a first generation immigrant, uh, came here Mm -hmm. when I was six and, uh, my dad spoke four languages. So I felt like it was, um, it was, it was for me, communication definitely was an area that I wanted to, to work in and help people. So can, can you share more about your heritage? It was interesting, always uh, hearing yeah. those stories, how the family came to the United States. Absolutely. Um, so my um, my family's from Iran, but by um, culture, I am uh, Armenian by heritage. Mm-hmm. So I was actually born in uh, Tehran 
and uh, immigrated here right before the the ominous revolution of the late 70s. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were kind of fortunate. My dad had some inklings that there was some uh, political upheaval. And so we made our way here uh, in 1977. Mm-hmm. And settled here in Southern California. And um, so, yeah, I grew up and I, I'm bilingual in Armenian and um, English. Um, I didn't keep up on my Farsia, unfortunately. Right. Um, but yeah, so that's my background. So was he a fan of the Shah or no? <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> Back in the day. <laughs> I would say yes, uh, yep. but I'm sure that's a complicated complicated answer it, um, it is complicated i actually grew up in an ironically apolitical home so it's 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 funny how that goes like we didn't talk much politics in my house probably sure. it made for some more peaceful dinners i would say i, was say, <laughs> I, I, I would imagine. appreciate that sometimes oh yes <laughs> no, I, I only only kind of mentioned that because when i was an undergraduate student at the university of south carolina the shah's wife he had passed away, but she was on campus certain times of the year and taught a course in international studies or something. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So yeah, she was, she was, I think, revered um, kind of like the Jackie uh, Kennedy of, mm-hmm. of Iran. I mean, she really was revered. And and from I don't remember much of this, but, the you know, the Iran of the before the revolution was was basically it was very european it was very yeah. westernized so it's a very different world back then yeah i, <laughs> I seen... don't know much of it because i was only five so i just right. knew my immediate surroundings yeah i've seen those photos like 1970s and they're all like hip cosmopolitan kind of people walking around the streets and then versus today and all that stuff and how how different yes. it is so so very, it's very that's a great story of coming to the United States and, and having all of that exposure in terms of language and growing up with that as an interest or is that sort of happening in your family and then being able to capitalize on that as in a sense uh, and going into speech language pathology. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. And it, it's been a great um, initially when I started working out in the schools, I was actually using um, my Armenian skills again. Mm-hmm. I feel like Los Angeles has not, I think it, it's actually fact that we have the largest uh, Armenian population outside at, outside of Armenia. So, oh wow, yeah, I have been used. I mean, I don't use it that much in telepractice, but I did use mm-hmm. it um, in person. So, let's talk about telepractice. How did you uh, first get involved with telepractice services? Yeah, so um, basically, my schools. Um, uh, career, I should say. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I was getting ready to start a family. And um, as we all know, the schools, um, it can be pretty stressful. So I felt like uh, I needed to take a year or two off of that and just focus on my family. And um, and I, I was able, I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. Uh, I did always know I wanted to go back to work. And I, I really missed working and I loved speech pathology. And Literally at that time, there were such few options to work from home. I think unless you had like a uh, home office or maybe you converted like your garage to uh, an office, it it was pretty much impossible. Um, And you'd have to see your clients in person. So and that was a little, you know, intimidating too to to have somebody come onto your property to, to do that. So there were a lot of issues involved with that. But I definitely wanted to explore ways to try to work from home. 
Uh, well, lo and behold, I think um, it was back in, I want to say 2010-ish, uh, when I was trying to get you know my license reactivated and kind of explore all, all the options that were out there that a Facebook uh, ad popped up on my computer. And, um, and it was for a new company that was doing something called teletherapy. <laughs> and I remember having a conversation with my husband, is this for real? Or is this like a scam? Or what is this? <laughs> <laughs> right. How could, from home. <laughs> how could online therapy be a thing? Is this like for real? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, I did, I just took a chance. I, I filled out my name and phone number and I figured I, I would uh, deal with the consequences later, but um, it was for a company um, at the time. It was called Presence Telecare. Today, it's known as Presence Learning. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I, I got the phone call. It was an interview um, with uh, with the company, and uh, I got my first job as a teletherapist back in 2010. <laughs> wow! So, yeah, it was it was a thrill. I mean, the idea again. Most people, all my friends that uh, knew I was doing this, kept saying, oh, you'll be, you'll be our guinea pig. Let us know how that works out, you know, and kind of like, um, good luck, you know, <laughs> if mm-hmm. it doesn't. <laughs> right. So they, they felt like I was just taking this big risk on my license and like my career. And I don't know, I, I was thrilled though. I was excited. I felt like I had nothing to lose. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing was all the part-time opportunities out there, the minimum at the time that was required, I just couldn't do it. You would break even if you were paying for childcare. So really I got into teletherapy because it afforded me the opportunity to go back to work as a new parent and to be able to work from home. Literally that, that is what it was. And, and it did sort of feel like an experiment, but, you know, 12 years, almost 11, 12 years later, I look back and I am so excited that I, I took the road less traveled by, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, it really wasn't cool back then. That's now, now it is. But, I know. Yeah. I, I started with presence learning in um, 2016, and people were still looking at me like, you do what? That won't work. Mm-hmm. You're crazy. Now we all know, right? right. <laughs> yeah, the, the pandemic has definitely, um, you know, uh, changed people's minds um, for the most part. Some people are like, I definitely don't want to do this ever again. But I feel like more people have come around for sure. And so you, with presence learning, you were, or telecare, uh, you were doing mostly PEDS. Is that right? Yeah, it was literally all school-based. And um, I think mm-hmm. they, that it was, um, you know, there was some one-to-one through the uh, online schools. And then, of course, the brick-and-mortar schools. And, you know, it, slow, it slowly grew from there. You know, I was... Um, in the right place at the right time. I was in California. They really needed California. 12 years later, mm-hmm. California is still, um, yep. you know, the, the main center, it seems, for, um, for telepractice uh, in a lot of ways. Um, other areas are coming around as well. But yeah, it was, uh, it was mm-hmm. definitely 100% school-based, working with IEPs and, um, you know, working in some small groups, but uh, some one-to-one as well. What what are some of your fondest memories from back then? Oh my goodness! So um, as I grew with the company, uh, we basically were pioneers, and we were part of just all the brainstorming sessions. And 
uh, we were able to come up with ideas for the very uh, beginning skeleton of the the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you had uh, you know somebody on uh, several months ago talking about the platform and what it's mm-hmm. um, blossomed to. Uh, um, but you know, early stages, it was a very very um, exciting time to come up with like ways to do this and you know what works for you, what doesn't work for you. We were. Um, I don't know. It just was such a privilege. You know, I still get goosebumps mm-hmm. thinking about that, that we had um, all those conversations. We were, um, you know, the heart and soul, so to speak, um, <laughs> trying to to pave the path here of, of places that other people hadn't gone yet. Right. Right. And, and And sometimes it can be a challenge being that light and the darkness trying to figure things out. And, and, but it's also very exciting. I mean, Kim and I had a similar experience uh, at Utah State way back you know, about the same time of doing some experimentation with early intervention and kids with hearing loss and their families and all that stuff and and trying to figure stuff out and make it all work. And uh, and so it's it, it, there is that excitement of like, here's a problem. How do we solve it or how do we deliver yeah. the service? And I still um, I do cite your work, um, Todd, with uh, with clinicians that are coming to me and saying, how in the world could you ever do this with a three-year-old or a two-year-old? <laughs> and, you know, I, I send them off to some of your, um, some of your resources and your training and your work to just say, look, if it can be done with hearing impaired children, um, I think that you have a good chance of, of succeeding here. <laughs> it's been mm-hmm. done before. So uh, right. thank you for all of your um, body of work as well. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Um, you're, you're my one person out there citing stuff. <laughs> so, uh, so from from presence learning telecare, uh, where did you go from there? Did you go to the current company, or or is or do you have a step in between? Yeah, no, I um, so I was with presence learning. By that time, they they became presence learning and had grown and were in several states. And um, I had done. Um, school-based telepractice for eight years by that time. And I was uh, kind of looking around for, you know, my next, um, my next level, so to speak, in my career um, to explore mm-hmm. different options. Um, and this was uh, 2018. And so um, an opportunity came about with a small pri- private practice here in uh, California, uh, Los Angeles-based. And um, it was an outpatient clinic that was looking to grow their telehealth program. And um, again, it would be all medical-based, uh, no schools, no IEPs. Um, so it was, it was a little bit different. Um, and mm-hmm. it was work that I had done in person previously. So I was uh, really intrigued and uh, took the opportunity and I was able to make the transition. And so I've been there ever since at uh, SLP Tele. So, so- what is your caseload now? So I um, I per- I started off doing some in person. I'm sorry. Uh, we did we do some very very little in person component currently, but we do mostly telepractice. And mm-hmm. um, I did uh, do the direct services, and I still do some direct services as needed here and there as we're kind mm-hmm. of exploring new um, areas. But mostly, I'm doing. Um, non-clinical work right now, kind of creating the program and maintaining it and mm-hmm. um, exploring other you know, possibilities of where we're going to go next. But our 
general caseload, we do see kids as young as 18 months on up through geriatrics. So pretty much Mm -hmm. womb to the tomb in a lot of ways. Um, We've even taken a few uh, clients that are younger than 18 months and it's, you know, that parent coaching is so powerful. Um, You know, it's, it's been really um, a privilege to be able to serve, uh, serve these families because believe it or not, here we are in an urban location and a lot of these families have um, challenges with access to healthcare. And so we do tend to serve a lot of the managed care and Medi-Cal and Medicaid um, here in California, it's Medi-Cal populations. So, um, you know, it's been really, um, that was my challenge is, you know, how do we identify those barriers? How do we work around those barriers to get access to care? You know, even in a a place like Los Angeles, where in theory, you should have a lot of options. So it's been, it's been a good ride. What, um, I was just thinking, what do you see as some advantages to doing a private practice-based tele-intervention and uh, telepractice versus being in schools? Oh, good question. Um, So one of the advantages is, um, I mean, I'm going to get really specific here Mm because I was a school-based SLP for so long. Um, just because of the way the districts and the schools work, um, as a school-based SLP, you don't have um, certain liberties or freedoms to recommend or refer those students to the services that they so desperately need. So, Mm -hmm. for example, you may know that they need to go to an ENT or an orthodontist, and you're not able... (laughs) To Mm -hmm. clearly outline that, it's just tricky. You have to work around those um, politics and logistics to try to get that child the services that they need. And in the clinic-based model, um, actually about a good 95 plus percent of our clients do have some form of insurance. And so you're able to refer them to their medical group and very clearly outline the type of specialist they need to see. And so that... um, I don't know, that's very liberating and it, it's really empowering. And, um, and I love that aspect of it. That's one big uh, difference. Um, we also basically don't have uh, IEPs. And as much as um, I respect IEPs and I love IEPs, I know that that can be um, quite, a, quite a challenge in terms of paperwork. And uh, it just, it's time consuming and, um, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and like when you're working across state lines, you have to be familiar with multiple places, IEP systems and IEP rules. And then there's even, I I work for two different districts in two different states right now. One's a charter school, actually. And uh, they both have like completely different requirements of who's eligible for services and who's not. And it just is very hard to wrap my head around sometimes. So I would agree with you there. Not having IEPs would be great. And trust me, we have our own um, logistics and red tape. Then you have insurance instead, (laughs) (laughs) which pick your poison. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll just kind of, I'm, I'm anticipating the next question is what are the, what's the downside uh, Mm -hmm. of working in the clinics? And I'll, I'll just go ahead and um, segue into that. Um, So we do uh, work with quite a few managed care companies and uh, we work off of authorizations and authorized visits. And one thing that um, is a bit disruptive is sometimes we have to 
put services on hold because um, for one reason or another, the um, the insurance is on hold or the authorized visits are on hold and they're reviewing, you know, um, is this really necessary, medically necessary? And you do have to substantiate medical necessity. And of course, you know, those uh, clinicians that come to us and are, are used to being on an IEP, they're, um, they're breaking out in hives. How can we not... <laughs> Continue services because that's, you know, mm-hmm. what's um, drilled in you as a school-based SLP, never stop, you know, keep going. You're going to get mm-hmm. in trouble if you stop. And, you know, for us, it's the other way around. If you continue, you're going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, you know, there are some challenges there and we've tried to work through it. So there to minimize those gaps, but, um, but ultimately um, the medical groups do have the say, and if we cannot provide that um, proof that certain services have medical necessity, um, there is a bit of a passing of the buck and they'll say, okay, you've been Mm -hmm. doing this for a while. Um, Perhaps maybe now they need to go to the schools for additional services or other agencies. So, you know, it's definitely um, not without its own set of challenges, but, uh, but for the most part, um, I do love it. I love that it's a novel area that we're growing in for telepractice. And is the company just based in California right now? Or are you reaching out beyond that? Great question. Yeah. So uh, we have a, a strong presence in California, but we are um, expanding nationally. We have um, some uh, growth in Texas, and then we are uh, working on expanding on the East Coast as well. So our Clinicians who um, live on the East Coast and are trying to work those late hours um, Mm -hmm. uh, have something to look forward to. Um, That is another big difference to basically we pick up uh, where the schools stop, right? Mm -hmm. School-based services end at 2.30 or 3 o'clock, whatever your time zone is. And for the most part, clinic-based starts there. You know, uh, people don't want services. They don't want to miss school speech therapy is not a quick fix, right? As we all know, um, they're not just going to miss one appointment. They're going to have to miss school continually. So they don't want to do that rightfully. So, so we start um, at three o'clock and go um, pretty much till seven, sometimes seven 30 or later. Hmm. Wow. That's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm currently trying to schedule a high schooler who plays softball and and so she has practice or games almost every day and so in the afternoon of course during the morning it's um class time you know so it's 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 been a little challenging trying to figure out when we can actually connect to do the therapy that she needs yeah yeah, i understand um but having like an evening option for her would be a, a great a great, you know, blessing for her if she could, you know, we could figure that out. So. Yeah. And, and the telepractice too, part of it that you can just, right. you know, you don't have to get them, especially in California, you don't have to drive through traffic <laughs> to get them where they need to be that you can exactly. just, you know, you just need to have an internet connection and then mm-hmm. they can go to their sessions. Right. Exactly. It could take you um, up to an hour or more to travel 10 miles. So. <laughs> Yep. Depending yep. on the traffic and if there's an accident or not. Yeah. So for sure it in the urban areas, there's definitely a benefit. Yeah. It's like, thank goodness you have good weather because I've been on the 405 when it's no. not been fun. 
Yeah, that's one other. I forgot how forgot to mention the obvious. I don't have to to drive to work, you know. Right. <laughs> For 12 years I haven't had to commute, so I don't think I'll ever be able to go back to commuting. <laughs> right, right. So I'm backtracking a little bit, but um well, you mentioned insurance. What have you guys seen as far as uh insurance companies' willingness to pay for telepractice? Pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, what what do you think we will see in the future too? Yeah, so we actually uh, we're fortunate to have our own credentialing department for the therapists as well as our own billing department. Um, I definitely, um, from what I know, and again, it's not my area of expertise, so I'm really, again, grateful for our team members who are um, in charge of all this. Uh, but um, again, California tends to have a little bit more um, uh openness and acceptance with the parity laws. And so uh, we were able to really get going here in California. No surprises there. Um, Other states, it's been a little bit more challenging and slower. And so things, you know, haven't moved as quickly as we would like because of that. Now, that being said, I do see um, more openness. Um, I'm also um, looking forward to a talk that I believe um, SIG-18 has scheduled regarding some of the uh, changes that they're anticipating with, um, again, um, my understanding is that Medicare laws um, and changes that Congress makes are going to trickle down into the insurance companies. So right. um, I encourage everybody who can write to their local congressman. I know ASHA has a special a page dedicated to that and how you could write and um, advocate for that. And that's another uh, passion of mine is to advocate for um, telehealth and telepractice wherever I can. So um, I'm hoping, of course, as we all are, that the changes will be permanent and it'll trickle down to the insurance companies. But that is my understanding of, of how things will work in the in the future. Certainly the number of bills and everything that's that I've seen um certainly appears that much of it most of it will stay in place in terms of how we're using telepractice um how medicare responds is always uh, sort of a, a gamble uh so hopefully with asha and, and individuals advocating as well we can keep uh, some of the reimbursement or all the reimbursement for speech language pathology and audiology that we've seen and that it doesn't go away. Yeah, definitely agree with that. So um, I hope so too. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. So I think it is time for that special moment. (laughs) (laughs) So green pick a, B or C. Uh, I'll go with C. <laughs> Ooh, the C list. So this is a list of questions we we ask. You probably heard from the other episodes where we just want to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, and so you can answer these in any way that you would like. Short answer, long answer, um, whatever you don't want to do. Okay. Sounds good. All right. All right. I'm ready. <laughs> so the first question you've kind of answered, but it also is, it fits you perfectly. Uh, where did you grow up and how did that affect who you became? Oh, um, well, um, 
again, growing up as an, a first-generation immigrant, um, I had to translate for my parents. I remember in the early days and just, you know, there's so much um, about that that um, impacted me. I, I had cousins, or I still have cousins, <laughs> they're still yeah. around, that um, <laughs> were born here, <laughs> older than me. Um, I remember trying to teach them Armenian and trying to do it in a way that, um, you know, just was very similar to what a speech therapist would do, trying to, to give them those phonemes. And so, um, you know, in so many ways, I feel like I was kind of doing this um, kind of organically and naturally. And so um, it's really changed my perspective and made me more um, sensitive to, you know, people of all different cultures and all different backgrounds growing up an immigrant really kind of does that to you. So um, yeah. Thank you for asking. Yeah. That's a great point. (laughs) That's a great point. It does, you know, it, yeah, I, I have not thought about it that way before. So uh, that is really cool. Um, so next question is, if money wasn't a factor, what would you like to do with your time? Oh, oh my gosh. If money wasn't a factor, I would love to spend my time writing. <laughs> oh, good. Um, I, I do try to squeeze in time to write as much as possible, but again, I have, um, it's not as lucrative as speech pathology, <laughs> but yes, I love to I write, know. um, I love to write, uh, personal essays about, again, my, uh, background and growing up an immigrant. Um, I'm also dabbling in, uh, fiction writing. So oh, good. just the storyteller in me. <laughs> oh, good. Good. Excellent. Um, what was the last thing you searched for on Google? Oh my goodness. Uh, must've been a word or something. Let's say I literally was looking it up. <laughs> Look, looking at the history. <laughs> um, my goodness. Oh no. The last thing I looked up was clinical resources of some kind. So oh. sorry. It this again, Work work uh, got in the way of my uh, my writing. <laughs> <laughs> um, next question is: What do people misunderstand most about you? Um, I think a lot of people um, think that you know. I don't know if I come across as shy or uh, extroverted. Some days I, I'm more extroverted. Other days I'm more of an introvert. Mm-hmm. I know that as a child, um, people used to think that I was snobby or or kind of stuck up because I was so painfully shy. Like I just mm-hmm. didn't want, I was afraid to talk to them. And so I, I would say that that's the number one thing is like, um, I remember people saying, oh, you know, we could never tell that you were, you know, nervous mm-hmm. about this or whatever. But uh, I think that they don't realize that I'm just actually just that shy little kid sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that's sort of you just described my background as well of being very shy. I'm a I'm an introvert who's tried to learn how to be an extrovert. If that makes sense. Um, what's a common myth about your job? Um, I think that a common myth is that, uh, they think that we play games all day and there's no purpose to those games. And I think that has sort of translated or transferred, uh, to the world of teletherapy where 
they just think we play computer games. So um, parents that are watching find no value because mm-hmm. a they've never actually seen a, a real life in real life speech therapy session. So mm-hmm. they just assume, oh, the, the teletherapy session is is just all games with no purpose. So right. it can't be further than the truth. And it, certainly, if somebody's doing that and and has no purpose behind it. They will be hearing from me as the clinical manager. <laughs> sure, and I do observe uh, sessions, and they will be hearing from me. So <laughs> there better be progress towards those goals, evidence based. Good, good. Now everyone that works for you is terrified, um, uh, <laughs> as they should be. No, as they should be. <laughs> <laughs> um, Next question, and this is, you kind of have touched on this already, but uh, what challenge in life shaped you the most? Is it Um, immigrant family or? Well, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to pick a different challenge. Um, Mm. I would say um, the loss of my dad. Um, Mm. When my dad uh, passed away about 14 years ago, it was the same year my daughter was born. That really shaped me because, um, my dad, well, I was an only child. So I was basically the one that had to kind of help with everything with my mom and, you know, getting um, all of those um, things that you have to do once a, a parent passes away. Like it just, it, it was really, uh, I think I grew up when my dad finally passed away, you know, even though I was That's well into my um, adult life. Um, it's still, it, it changed me in a way that I, I just, it's, it's hard to put into words. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, I, I know exactly what you mean. I lost a brother when I was in college and I think that totally changed the whole family, you know? And, and so I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, next question is when are you the most productive? I think I'm still exploring that. <laughs> well, lately I've, I've started um, taking a walk first thing in the morning. And that mm-hmm. I feel like is making me more productive in the day, in the morning. Um, I definitely have to talk myself out of logging on after dinner and working because I feel like mm-hmm. I'm least uh, productive the later it gets in the day. Yeah. But uh, I don't know what it is. I think I got into that habit probably early on when I was mm-hmm. doing the work from home thing and trying to fit in, you know, hours around the kids' schedule and this yep. and that and, you know, what life has you do. But um, I'm not a morning person, but I'm forcing myself to be one because I do think it makes me more productive. I saw a saying somewhere that said, um, I'm not an early bird or a night owl. I'm some kind of exhausted pigeon. <laughs> oh, that, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> that's me too. <laughs> I stay up late, but I can't think when I'm up late and I don't like getting up early. So oh I'm just goodness. an exhausted pigeon. <laughs> that's great. That's great. I love that. Um, next question is, what is your favorite comfort food? Ooh, favorite. Oh, I would say sushi. I love sushi. Mm. Usually comfort food brings to mind like hot, some kind of hot food, like chili or something, but I love sushi. That's my Mm. little, that's my comfort food. 
we're in a good place for sushi too. For sure. On, yeah. the, on the West coast. I, we tried to eat some sushi here in St. George, Utah, and I, we had a bad experience this Uh-oh. week. So it might be a while before I can oh, eat I'm so sushi sorry, again. <laughs> I, I do love good sushi, but now I've had bad sushi. <laughs> I told you about buying sushi at the gas station. I told you about that. <laughs> Uh, next question is, do you have a life motto? And if so, what would it be? Or what is it? Or (laughs) philosophy? Oh, my goodness. Or a Um, favorite quote. Sometimes people have a favorite quote. Well, um, you stumped me on that one. (laughs) Um, I I guess I'll go with the philosophy. Um, I definitely, uh, I'm one to not give up. Uh, Don't give up when you fail. And I know there's probably a more eloquent eloquent way of saying it and probably uh, many great quotes on that. But um, I definitely believe in um, being tenacious. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Don't give up. And, uh, you know, just because you fail doesn't mean um, that you won't succeed in the near future. Great. I mean, I think it's that's a great philosophy. <laughs> Just keep <laughs> keep going. Just keep going. Uh, last question. So this is uh, the only original question. This is sort of based on the Proust uh, questionnaire playwright. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is the only one that's original to Proust. Um, if heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Let's see. Um, I think uh, I would definitely want to be welcomed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So hopefully he would say welcome home. And hopefully I would be able to sit down and have dinner with uh, family and friends that I hadn't seen in a while. That sounds awesome. Yeah, (laughs) that sounds awesome. Well, Corinne, thank you for joining us on the podcast, and and we wish you and the company all the best. And how can people reach out to you if they want to contact you? Um, So you can definitely look up um, our company and and what it's about uh, by going to our website, uh, slptelly.com, just um, spelled as I just said it. And then they can reach me by email at my first name, Corrine, K-A-R-I-N at slptelly.com. Awesome. Well, good luck, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. We really appreciate Corrine being with us on the podcast. Go check out what she's doing over at SLP Telly and uh, learn about uh, the services that they offer, and uh, maybe it'll be a good connection for you. And thank you for connecting with us on the podcast and being such a faithful listener. Please leave us a five-star review if you haven't already. And share this podcast with your colleagues. We want to get more people listening and more people subscribing. So anything you can do would be very, very appreciated. And don't forget, this week, this Wednesday, April 6th, is the deadline to put in your ASHA presentation. So the call for papers is due this Wednesday, April 6th. So 
If you have some ideas for a presentation at ASHA, which is going to be in New Orleans, which will be a great city to visit this fall. It'll be warm there when everywhere else is going to be colder. So it'll be nice and warm, and you can have a great presentation, and we'll continue to spread the word about telepractice. So with that, thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. 